Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the program. My special guest is renowned poet, author, and songwriter, Mike Turner. Mike lives on the Alabama Gulf Coast, and he is a retired federal law enforcement executive. He was named 2017 Male Gospel Entertainer of the Year by the North America Country Music Association International and has performed or did perform at the 2021 Monroeville. How do you pronounce that, Mike? Monroeville. Monroeville? Monroeville, yes. All right, beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> Literary Festival. Mike is here. All right, everybody, I'm happy to. All right, his recordings have been played on radio and streaming services throughout the United States, United Kingdom, Europe, as well as the Far East. As a poet, he has published more than 280 poems in over 50 literary journals and anthologies. His book, Visions and Memories, which we'll talk about tonight, was published by Sweetie Cat Press in 2021 when he's not writing. Mike and his wife, Pamela Cordell, explore the bays and the backwaters along the Gulf Coast aboard their classic trawler yacht. And Mike, I wanted to ask you, does your yacht have a name? Yes, it does. It's called Wanderer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Wanderer. All right. All right. I like that. Wanderer. I knew that song by Dion. I think it was Dion. And, well, well we, we took it from... Uh, all who wander are not lost. Oh, wow. That's nice. I like that. It's going to be a good night. Mike, are you ready for this poetic journey? I am ready, and the question is, are you ready? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's always a question. <laughs> that's always a question. <laughs> but I'm ready with you. We're in this thing together. So here we go. Mike, based on what you know about the world, based on what you know about poetry, what is poetry? You know, this was a very interesting question. It, it made me kind of reflect on what I think poetry is, and I think I'm going to give you a very pragmatic answer. Uh, because right. I think the answer to this question really is, is different for each one of us, what poetry means to us. And to me... Poetry is a means of expression. It's, it's not any different than painting or sculpture or literature. It's written to express the writer's innermost thoughts, their feelings, their beliefs, their hopes. And there's a hope that in the writing of it, we will connect with other people. That what we have to say is going to resonate with our readers and our listeners. So it's almost right. like it's a, it's a means to an end. For me, okay. poetry itself is, is just the vehicle by which I'm expressing myself and hopefully making a connection to the people that are reading my poems. All right, very nice. Tell me more about poetry in terms of what it means to you from your heart. When you think about it, 
to me, it really is the expression of my deepest thoughts and beliefs mm. and feelings, uh, how I view the world, the, the truths that I see and the truth that I'm looking for. That's what I'm trying to, to chip away at when I'm, when I'm writing a piece. I'm, I'm looking for a deeper truth about the world and about myself. Chip away. Wow. I like that. So, knowing what it is, is it important, Mike? Is poetry important? I think it's essential to to us okay. as individuals and to us as a community. I've talked about the personal expression aspect, and mm-hmm. I truly believe in the community aspect. I think one of the great things about reading poetry is that I can see that I'm not the only person that feels the way that the poet feels. I no longer feel alone because that connection now exists, that that the fears and the hopes and the dreams and the aspirations that I have, there are other people that have them too because here's one that has written about it. And so to me it's incredibly important as a vehicle for drawing us together in our common humanity. What a beautiful way to phrase it. Please share with me an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power. When did you learn about poetry, the strength of it? Well, for me, it's funny. When I, when I was growing up and all the years that, that I was in school and those types of things, I really didn't read very much poetry. So, so to me, the answer to the early impact comes in music, which I think to me is a form of poetry. Yes. Uh, and, and I grew up outside of Detroit, so I grew up with very heavy influences of Motown in the 60s oh. and the 70s and the songs that, that were being put out by those artists and then other artists of the era like the Beatles, people like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I would overlay with that, although I grew up outside of Detroit, my family is actually from West Virginia. And so there was a very heavy influence of music in my home of country music, Hank Williams, uh, uh, artists like that, and also gospel music have relatives on my mother's side of the family that are actually very well known in gospel music circles. And so all of that music was just floating in the air for me. And and as I say, the impact that it had on me was, hey, there are other people that feel the way that I feel. This really resonates with me because that's what I think. That's how I feel about this. And to me, that, that was the impact. And I carried that with me for all the years that I was growing up and working until I finally, I didn't come to actually start to write songs and then poetry until after I had retired. So I was, I was uh, like 55, 56 years old when I started writing my first pieces. And they came in something of a torrent, I think, because I had been saving them up for so long. But... Uh, Yes, that's the impact has always been with me has has been in the soundtrack of life. Wow, very nice. I'll ask you before we conclude tonight, what's your favorite Motown song? And I'll share mine as well. 
Oh, I'll, I want to hear that. Yeah, let's not forget that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Beatles song to Hank Williams song, Patsy Cline song. We could do it all. All right, all right, all right. As you think about being a poet and what you write about, what are some of the predominant themes, my friend? What do you write about? I do a lot of work in the blues. I've I came to the blues a little bit late through the rock and roll experience. But mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the themes in the blues and a lot of, the, a lot of those same things are, are shared in country music, things like loss yeah. and despair. But that's really not what those songs are about. They, they, it's okay. really about enduring and persevering and overcoming loss and despair and hopelessness and finding hope and faith in your belief in yourself and in your belief in the world. In, in fact, you know, um, uh, I wrote a, a, this popped up literally on my social media today. You know how Facebook gives you now uh, memories to go back and see what yeah. you posted years gone by. I wrote a haiku last year and it popped up on my screen today. I wrote it down because I wanted to, to mention it in this context. Here's my haiku. The soul of the blues is not pain, loss, or despair, but perseverance. Wow. And so that's that's what a lot of the themes of, of what I write are about. I, I will write about social justice challenges, and I will write about romantic love, and I will write about faith in terms of spiritual faith. But more and more when I write on those topics, I am actually going down a path of finding hope and redemption and salvation as opposed to focusing on the challenges and the problem. I'd like you to share the haiku again. As I go through the daily vicissitudes of life, and I'm really in the middle of them now, I need to hear that one more time because that really spoke to me. Please share it again. All right. The soul of the blues is not pain, loss, or despair, but perseverance. Mm, perseverance. Very nice. Very nice. You know, all great writers have great writing influences and musical influences as well. Who are some of your major influences in terms of your writing? Again, I have to go back to the music world because I didn't come okay. to reading poetry until pretty pretty late on. Uh, and so going back in those times, the Motown writers, particularly Smokey Robinson and really Marvin Gaye, were, were okay. big influences, not only on what I wanted to say, but how I wanted to say it. I would add to that Bob Dylan. I think that the first song I ever learned to play on the guitar way back when was Blowing in the Wind. And and look continuously, not just at his song lyrics, but at, at the literature he has produced, the books that he has written, some of the interviews that he has done. And again, his way of looking at the world and his way of using language to evoke emotion and action uh, are very aspirational to me. I aspire to be able to, to write that way. 
and right. and then others that have come through the years. You you mentioned some Hank Williams, Patsy Cline, yes. even though she didn't write a lot of her stuff, the way that she expressed mm-hmm. it, all to mm-hmm. me are big influences. And I'll mention one other, partly for their writing, but but also for the way they deliver their material, and and that's some of the great orators and some of the ministers in the Southern Baptist uh, religion, because that was my, I'm not a Baptist, but that was my family religion growing up. And so I got to hear a lot of ministers and the way that they speak and the meter that they use and the cadences that they employ. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to me is beyond the message that, that he had to give. He was an incredible orator and, and captivating in the way that he spoke. Years ago, when I was working, I had an opportunity to hear live uh, oh golly, now I can't think of the name of the, the person that I wanted to, to mention. But but again, it was a Southern uh, leader in the Civil Rights Movement. And to hear him yes. speak, he had in the palm of his hand. And so, and so a lot of the way that I structure what I write has those types of sentences in mind. Wow. You know, actually, you could be my twin Jesse brother Jackson. and my brother from that's another mother. Think of Jesse Jackson. Jesse Jackson, yes. Well, as I was sitting here, you could be my brother from another mother <laughs> because I, too, in terms of uh, sharing poetry, writing poetry, I also focus on the cadences, the, the nuances in the way that you pronounce words. That, to me, is very important. I, I have always believed, believed that if you write a poem, you should live it. That's that's and that's what I try to do with my work to live. I, I, like I wrote that. it. I like I'm going that. to live it. Yes, very important. Mike, let's begin. Please share a poem. I already like you, Mike. You're a good man. I was brought up Southern Baptist, so I know what that is. So you're, well, you're a good man to me. <laughs> right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna open with a poem that that actually is kind of about openings, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, I call this poem "Morning." Dark night slowly lifts toward dawn. Jet black skies shade to deep blue. Gently, morning's coming on. Fleecy clouds reflect sun's hue. Sweet dew lies upon the grass. Birdsong fills expanding air. Sunlight grows as shadows pass. Rustling leaves in breezes fair. And as awakening from a dream, you sense the world has turned once more and rise to take up and embrace the promise of day's opening door. Thank you. Very nice. So you're coming into finding the field, like you said again, later in life. What was it about poetry, though? I mean, you could have written fiction or other forms of uh, literary work. Why poetry? What was it? What? How did you come to poetry, though? Well, as I say, growing up and working, I didn't do anything creative, but I listened yes. to a lot of music. 
Mm-hmm. So when the creative urge did come to me, it first came in songwriting. And we could could talk about this for hours, but there are conventions in songwriting, things like uh, rhyme and structure mm-hmm. and repetition versus choruses. And so I, I worked in song for several years, and yes. I think I was pretty successful about it. I certainly was successful in terms of writing songs that were saying the things that I wanted to say. But I came to a point where there were some things that I wanted to say, some topics that I wanted to talk about, that to me just didn't lend themselves to all of those restrictions and conventions of songwriting, particularly the repetition. I mean, if you look at the way a song is structured, you keep hearing the chorus over and over again. And that doesn't stand well when you're writing something to be read. And so that's when I took my first step into poetry, to be able to tell stories and to be able to express what I wanted to express without being tied to the conventions of song. Okay. Okay. Mm. You're a fascinating man. There's a lot we can talk about. I see that already. I see that already. So when you write a poem, how does it begin for you, Mike, with an idea, a feeling, a form, or an image? It primarily starts with an idea. And the way that I get inspired to write most of my poems is Mm -hmm. I get up in the morning, I have a cup of coffee, I sit down with my iPad, I read my social media, and I read some of the major national newspapers. And I'm watching for topics that interest me, turns of phrase, a word that may inspire me in some way. And whenever one of those things strike, I open up the word processor on the iPad and I start writing. And that's how I create a poem. And many of my poems, uh, whatever the topic was, I start writing on it. It leads me where it leads me in terms of my feelings, my beliefs, my emotions, and how I want to express them. I'll come up with a first draft. I'll set it aside and come back to it either later that day or maybe the next day. Do one or two polishes to it, and as a rule, that's the final product. I have said what I wanted to say in the way I wanted to say it. Hmm. So 280 of your works have been published, or more, actually, I'm sure. It's it's actually up, as of today, it's up to 295. (laughs) All right, congratulations. Thank you. What have you learned about yourself, Mike, publishing all those works? Who are you as a result of it? having your work out there in the world? I think I have a greater appreciation for beauty, for one thing. I mean, okay. I, worked in a, I, I worked in law enforcement for almost 30 years, and you don't see a lot of beauty in law enforcement. No, I wouldn't think so. And I didn't, and didn't go looking for a lot of beauty outside of the job while I was working. So I think I have come 
to a much greater appreciation of the beauty of the world, the beauty of other people, not just appearance, but who they are, what we share as community. I think I also have come to a greater appreciation of injustice in the world and my role in trying to shed light on it and also the importance not just of talking about it but actually trying to do something. Okay. Uh, okay. All of those you, things are wrapped up in my poems. Well, you know, one of my questions, one of my, I guess I won't call it a famous question, but one that I've asked over and over and over again over the course of the last six years is, in this world, there's good, there's bad, there's ugly, as well as indifference. What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern day society. Now you've answered it. I'd like you to go into that more because what I liked about what you just shared is that not only to talk about it, to do something about it, and that to me is the qualitative difference. I rarely ever hear that piece. We can talk about it, but to do something about it is different. It takes on a different onus. Tell me more, Mike. I like that. I just think that it's too easy to talk let's let I, I I do not want to draw into politics yes I'm but 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 so much in politics today and in political discourse today there's a there's a phrase that's used whenever there's a, a terrible event or, or a terrible happening you'll you'll hear people talk about thoughts and prayers mm-hmm and every time I hear that, I think of the biblical verses that tell us that faith without works is dead. And I translate that into social justice, that, that empathy is a wonderful thing, but it's just feeling. We, we have to fix injustice. We have to right wrongs. We have to free the oppressed. We have to give... Uh, help to the helpless. And that's it, it's great to do that in poetry to raise awareness. And that's a big part of what I'm trying to do with some of the poems that I write. But it still doesn't put food on the table of the hungry. And it still doesn't give shelter to the homeless. And it doesn't directly answer the problem of refugees at our borders. I think we have to actually do things. And so I see my poetry in part trying to to shed a light on issues, but to encourage and compel people to do something about it. Okay. Right. I'm not going to ask you what you'd like them to do, because that would take us in a different direction. But we can talk further about this. What I'd like you to do at this point, Mike, is to share another poem. Ah, all right. I mentioned that a lot of what I deal with is the blues. Yes. And so this is a poem that that is on that uh, theme. This is called Essence of the Blues. To have words, but no voice. 
Lyric, but no music. Vision, but no artistry. Passion, but no love. To speak, sing, paint, live, only in one's mind, but not to have the wherewithal, or is it courage, to express these things in the world? Is it sad? Without hope? A source of despair? Or is it the essence of the blues? Thank you. Mike, what is the purpose of that piece? What are you attempting to convey? I think we all have something to say. Okay. I think we all have the ability to be creative. I think we have to have the means of doing so. And we have to find the means that is most effective for us. For you and me, it's poetry. For others, it might be painting, drawing, sculpture. Whatever that means of expression is, we have to find it, and then we have to employ it. We have to use it. Because if, if we have a voice but don't express it, what have we achieved? We haven't even expressed ourselves, much less built that connection with others. And so this is... I suppose a reflection upon that with some subtle encouragement to find your voice and use it. When I listen to you, Mike, I don't know why the words world weary come to mind. Correct me if I'm wrong. Because it sounds like you've seen a lot, especially in your line of work. I'm sure you've seen a lot. Does it hurt you, Mike, to write poetry? If not, why not? No, it doesn't hurt me. It, it, to me, as as I, as I mentioned earlier, I may focus on darker themes, yes. but my poems, the, through through the course of the poem, I'm kind of going on a journey to bring me to a resolution that okay. that. If there is darkness in the world, how can I find light? How can I shed light? And so to me, the poems heard at all, it, it's, it's almost a, a means of taking whatever the issue is that the poem is about and exploring it and illuminating it and coming to a better understanding of it for myself. And then again, you know, I, I certainly hope that it connects with other people that feel the same way. But to me, it's a very cathartic experience to, to come through that thought process and to have a better understanding of my own thoughts and beliefs by the writing of it. Now, has a poem you've written ever frightened or humbled you? I would not say frightened. Okay. I think there I think there have been some that I have been somewhat surprised on what it turned out my feeling actually was. 
that it that that the writing of the poem revealed to me things that I hadn't really considered that 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 I always have thought were a growth experience for me to better understand what it is I really feel and believe I think can only be a positive thing yes so so I wouldn't I wouldn't say frightened but I would say surprised at times okay so when you felt surprised by those poems, what did you do with that surprise? What did you, how did you, where did you go with it? That's my question. You know, it's, it's first expressed in the poem itself that once I've completed the poem, that now here is a more compact, crystallized version of what it is I believe on this particular topic. And then, honestly, I start looking for a place to to get it placed so that I can share it to see if other people feel the same way. And it also leads me to write other poems on the same topic. There are, are, you know, we talked about this earlier. There are some continuing themes in what I write. And so I return to those themes pretty regularly, again, looking at things from a different perspective, from a different viewpoint, trying to come to an even sharper understanding of what it is that I feel and believe. You know, we're going to take a brief break, and we'll be right back. But here's a question that I'd like you to answer once we return. I don't ordinarily, I don't often ask this particular question, but what I'd like to know from you, Mike, is based on what you've seen, what you've witnessed, the good, bad, ugliest indifference, you name it, all of it. What color is poetry? All right? Okay. All right. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I am here with Mike Turner. I asked you a strange question, Mike. What color is poetry? To me, poetry is blue, but it's the it's a it's a particular blue. It's the blue of the sky at sunrise, lightning from darkness. To cobalt to sky blue it, it's 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 a blue of hope it's a blue of illumination it's a blue of growing and opening to a new day Wow Mike <laughs> I like that 
because right now for me the color is black. Oh. <laughs> black. <laughs> I'm glad you're with me tonight, Mike. I am glad. <laughs> Man, you you are incredible. <laughs> you know, I I haven't got it in front of me, but I wrote a poem on that. Yes. Topic. I just I, I'm not going to be able to get to it, but 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 that mm-hmm. was my my question. Why do they call them the blues? Why don't they call them the blacks? Because it's always <laughs> when you're at the darkest, and 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 what the poem reveals, I think, is that they call them the blues because it's that blue, the blue that I just described. That's yeah. the blue. Mm-hmm. The blues not about the darkness. They are about the coming dawn. So, so Michael, <laughs> think the... about the coming dawn. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're great. I'm going to have to put you in a bottle, Mike, and just if you get an infomercial with Mike Turner because you. <laughs> I like the way you think, my friend. <laughs> Please share another poll. <laughs> This is a this is a topic. Uh, it it would be too long a story to tell, but I got thrown out of a uh, class once on meditation because I came to the, the meditation came to the conclusion that it's all about me, which uh, it's not. But but I was making a joke at the time. So I'm not going to go into that story too much, but but one of the things that came out of that class for me is the concept of how we're all part of a larger whole. And that's what this poem is kind of about. I like the imagery that's here. I call this drops. How many drops are in the ocean? How many stars up in the sky? How much joy is in a baby's laugh? How many sorrows in a sigh? How can we say enough's enough, whispering questions by and by? Oh, how many drops are in the ocean? And which of those many drops am I? Thank you. Wow. So how would you classify your ability to write poetry? Is it a creative gift? or creative art? That's an interesting question. I think I split the answer because I think the gift part is something that we each have. The trick is finding the way you can express your gift, and that's the art part. I do believe that each of us has stories to tell and and things to say and feelings to uh, to feel, uh, and that's the gift. That that that's probably the entire essence of of what the experience we call life is all about. But then finding the means of expression that works for you is the art part. I, I I was pretty good at mechanical drawing at one time. 
there was a time that I thought that I would go into architecture or, or engineering or, or something like that because it turned out I had a certain skill for being able to use a slide rule and a T-square and all those things and make pretty good mechanical drawings. But it, it was not my means of expression, and I certainly don't have the ability to do expressive drawing or painting or anything like that. And I've tried. I've, I've, I've tried all those different things through the years, looking for a way to express what I feel and what I believe. And I think that's true for everyone. Everybody will find the art that allows them to share their gift if they look for that art. Wow. Now, you know, this is a call-in show. And there is a caller out there, one of many, actually. The area code is 331. The first three numbers are 251. You're on the air with Mike Turner. Good evening. Hello. I guess they're listening. I guess. I guess. All right. All right. Okay. So, Mike, question for you. Let's imagine for a moment you're a writer, a musician, songwriter, all the above, that a poem is like baking a cake. All right? What are some of the ingredients that you would put into a poem? What do you put into a poem to bake it, to make it rise? Talk to me. I think I think a little bit of loss, a little bit of despair, mm -hmm. a little bit of hopelessness, a little bit of hope, a little bit of faith a little bit of determination, uh, probably about a shot of vodka. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and I'll tell you, that, the, the, that, that actually puts me in mind of something that I think is the real answer, uh, although those, those, those are all things I think you'll find in my poetry. But, but I think mm -hmm. the one thing that's essential is you I have to share and I think any artist any writer has to share a certain amount of their authentic self all right that that something something in your experience something in your belief but you have to imbue the the piece with some true part of yourself because that's the part that readers will see and hear and respond to. That's got to be there. Otherwise, I think how, it's just an empty exercise. But how difficult, how, difficult, how difficult is it to find your, discover your authentic self? That's, that's what I'd like to know. Let's talk about that difficulty in that process I, I think it's incredibly difficult first of all you have to be open to finding things in yourself that you didn't know and you might not necessarily like yes because they will be there and they're they're all a part of who 
I am and who an individual is, but you have to be open to, to looking at the things and examining those things and of course not being afraid to change those things i mean if truly if you find something in yourself that you do not like it's in your power to change it so so it's incredibly difficult to to have that openness to yourself and then to to go through a process of actually examining who you are and what you believe and and what you hope but but you those know, are the many, things I think that give meaning to our life. Well, I was going to share that many poets grapple with the question of what is the purpose of life, of life and existence, that holy existential way of understanding the world. Why am I here? And I do believe that poetry allows you an opportunity to express that in words, whether on yes. paper or spoken word why am i here i i i am in complete agreement with that and i and i think that if we're open to asking ourselves that question we will begin the journey of finding what the answer is mm-hmm. now you but i do believe i do earlier. believe that a a large part of the answer has less to do with ourselves than it has to do with what we then give to other people. Okay. All right. I was sharing that you mentioned empathy earlier and I didn't, I couldn't really ascertain whether it's something that you believe in or you feel like it's just not enough. I think that's what you said, that it's not enough to feel it. You've got to act on it. Yes. Is it a place to start? I'm not sure. I'm not sure I understand the question. Well, I guess empathy, I guess, means so many different things to different people. And in terms of poetry, I've always believed, and I've written a number of articles on this, is that that's the bridge in terms of understanding another person's lived experience. But when you added the piece that you need need more, than just that, the feelings component. You also need to be able to do something with it. I mean, it, it kind of changed the way that I thought about it. So it made me wonder, what are your thoughts about empathy? Do you believe I, in it? Is it enough? That, that's, that's my question. I, I, I think that empathy is essential to our understanding the experience of others. I, I, okay. I, particularly, I particularly believe that it's an essential part of understanding injustice in the world. But if you if you look at the Merriman-Webster definition of empathy, it is mm-hmm. it is all about that understanding. And to me, if I understand your pain and your need, but I don't do anything to alleviate it, I haven't done enough. It's it's great that I understand it, but I've got to do something to make it better. Or I haven't really served what I think our reason for being here is, which is to help other people. That's really deep, Mike. 
it makes me think of all those research articles that I've written on the topic of empathy. I've talked about it being there, but I've never really written about what we should do with it after it. Once we leave whatever setting we're in, where do we go with it? How do we make changes? So, so thank you. That was probably more for me than anyone. You know, you, you really you changed my mindset. You've opened my mind to something new, and I like that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate well, it. Well, thank you. And I will certainly say that it's aspirational for me. I, I, I believe that, but I don't always live mm-hmm. up to it. Yeah, I understand. Neither do I. Your book, Visions and Memories, what inspired it? Let me tell you how the book came to be, because I never All intended right. to do a book. I, I, you mentioned that, that I've been published now Actually, today it's closer to 60-some literary journals and anthologies. And I find that to be a very good way of sharing my poetry. Primarily because I don't like being a salesman. And as soon as you write a book, they turn into a book salesman. And I just that, that is not a role that I play very well. So, so I just never intended to do a book. But I had been writing for several years and getting them published and feeling pretty happy about that. And then a publisher approached me and and said, have you thought about doing a book? And I said, no. In fact, I really I don't have any interest in doing a book. I'm pretty happy with just doing journals and anthologies. And his response was, Mike, I want to bring your poetry to a wider audience. I really want to do a book of poetry, would you please do that for me? Well, how do you say no to that? And so that's how the book came to be, and the, and the publisher, who unfortunately has passed away, his name was Steve Carr, was a terrific individual, really supportive, and, and that's how the book came to be. And so it is really a collection of poems, and it's, it's broken down into some we'll call them chapters, but I grouped the poems into things like love, loss, despair, faith, hope, redemption. Uh, And that's how the book came to be, and that's what what the book is. It is a collection or a selection of poems I have written on our common human experience. So is there a target audience? Or are you hoping to reach just a wide range of readers? I, I really want to reach a wide range of readers, a big group of people. Uh, I don't want to come off as being overly altruistic or anything, but, but it's not so much about making a lot of money off of selling a bunch of books. I just want my poetry shared, read, appreciated. And, and as I've said several times, my hope yes. is that there will be readers who read a poem and say, wow, I'm not the only person that feels that way. I, I feel now a greater connection beyond myself because there's somebody else out there that wrote this poem that expresses what I really feel. That's mm-hmm. what I'm after. Well, you know, poetry does have the power to normalize situations. Let's take another caller, Mike. We're on a roll. Area code 630. 
four six seven. You're on the air with Mike Turner. Good evening. Brad appreciated. Hello. I've said several times my hopes is that there will be readers who say, "Wow." Well, Mike, you got a long way to go because it's too lyrical. Yes. Mike, uh, Michael B. Johnson, is that you? I'm not sure what happened with that, Mike. I'm not sure. Please share another poem, my friend. Technology is a wonderful thing when it yeah. works. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's probably come out a little bit in our discussion here, but I, I have a pretty active sense of humor. And I don't often write humorous poems, but, but occasionally I do. And this is one of my favorites in that vein because it is a little humorous, but in a way it isn't. Uh, This is called Lilacs. Let us celebrate the beauty of the lilacs in the yard, killing them and placing in glass jar, kept till they lose their vibrance and wither to husks dry. Let us celebrate the lilacs by condemning them to die. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> Your poetry really packs a punch, Mike. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> it really, boy. It really, it really does. It really oh, packs you. a punch. <laughs> what do you think are some of the common misperceptions or conceptions about being a poet? Oh, I think that you know. I think I think people think of poets as as sitting at a little desk with a quill pen and writing rhymes all day long and sonnets and trying to be Shakespeare but not living up to it and uh, writing uh, limericks. That that's kind of what I think. A lot of my friends uh, that I worked with. That's what they and and probably me would have thought poets were and so it it is a great source of amusement to to people who knew me in my working life uh that this is what i do and then to read some of the things that i've written and they're not funny little limericks uh i i think that that's kind of a whole big misperception about poets i think you know, I've got to go back. I talked to you prior to our being on the air. Your voice is so distinctive. And one of the questions that I ordinarily ask, and I'm going to ask it tonight, what is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? I touched on this earlier, that, that some of my mm-hmm. influences are some of the great orators of yes. the past, people like Dr. King and and John Mm -hmm. F. Kennedy, I think I would put in that vein, Jesse Jackson, uh, some of the old-time Baptist, Southern Baptist ministers that that I knew growing up. Uh, And I think that it's that meter, those cadences, 
the use of volume and the use of expansiveness that I try to translate into what's on the page. I don't read my poems aloud very often. I'd like to start doing that more because the spoken word adds that dimension of the dynamics of one's voice and and the emphasis one places on certain words, certain phrases. You don't get that on the page. And so I, I think I try to infuse what I've written with some of that. But I find more of it in in venues like this when I when I'm actually speaking my poetry, and then I certainly find it in the cases that I've gone on or or taken some lyrical work and turned it into a song because then obviously you you get all of that. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that you don't go out and share your work on the stage as a poet that often? I, I'm surprised by that, to be quite honest. I, I do not do that. I I would tell you, and this is something that surprises a lot of people that know me, uh, Mm -hmm. because I've mentioned a couple of times in my career, I did a lot of public speaking. I did a lot of media work on radio and on television, and and I've done performing of songs. But my entire life, I have had crippling stage fright. And there's no telling when it will strike. And so I can I can go out to do a poetry reading or a songwriter's round, and I'll be unable to do it because I'm just literally crippled by the anxiety. And so I tend to shy away sometimes from those experiences. Now, knowing that about myself, I have been yes. forcing myself to do more. As it happens in the small community that I live in, in southern Alabama, there are not a tremendous amount of opportunities to go to poetry open mic nights and things like that. They just the, the, the opportunities just are not there. And so I've been having some preliminary discussions with some people about creating those opportunities. To, if, if there aren't any open mics, let's start an open mic. And let's find right. the other poets in the in the area and give them that opportunity. And I think at that point, I would have a re- if I was going to organize something like that, I would have a responsibility to step up to the microphone because I'm not going to ask well, other people to do that if I'm not going to do that. <laughs> if you had not shared that, I would have assumed that you were I don't know I don't know an order on the stage. A thespian, thespian, that's it, <laughs> a thespian, it, you know, a great actor in terms of you, your You know, it, it, it's, it's just so funny because I, I have done a lot of that, but, but there have been a few times that I couldn't go on. More often what happens is I am completely mentally and emotionally and physically drained when it's over. I'll come home complete for 10 hours. Yes, I understand. I understand. Wow. Wow. You know, back to your book for a moment. The cover, and I'm looking at it now, is a beautiful blue. Yeah, different colors of blue. Tell me about the creation of the cover. Well, the, the publisher the publisher actually used 
a friend to create the cover, but it was a collaborative process because they asked me similar to some of the things we've talked about tonight, you know, what's your favorite mm -hmm. color? What do you see the color of your work? And you see right. the little paper hat boat that's there. That yes. that is a reflection of my interest in boating. So they they took some things that I shared about myself and that they read in my bio and created that cover, which I just love. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Share with me the titles of five of the poems in the book. Just the titles. Any five. All right. Hang on just a second. I will pull out the book and and grab a couple. So hang on just a second. Yes. All right. Perception. Nostalgia. Take no rest. Judgment and justice. Beauty, absent truth. The art of music. A flash of blue. And then the title poem, Visions and Memories. Okay. My question is, what role should a title play in a poem? I think it's a window... To, to give the reader an initial view of what they're in store for about the poem, but I don't want to give too much away. Okay. Uh, in in music, there's a, in songs, there's a whole concept of the book, which is usually the title of the song, and it's usually repeated over and over again in the chorus and in other sections of the song. And that works in songwriting, but it's way overkill in uh, in poetry. So, so when I choose the title, and I usually don't choose the title until after I've written the piece. Okay. Because because okay. quite often I don't know exactly where I'm going to go when I start writing. So it's you know I usually wait until I'm done and see where I got to before I decide what I'm going to call a piece. Mm -hmm. And and like I say, my, my goal I think in choosing the title is to is to give the reader an initial perception of, of what we're going to talk about in this poem, but not give away the denouement as it was found. Okay. Mm. Let's take a call. All right. Again, back to area code six three zero. The first three numbers are 467. You're on the air with Mike Turner. The incredible Mike Turner. Hello, good evening. Hello, good evening. Hello? And, and like I said, my, my goal, I think, is... Well, we're still having difficulty, Mike. Hmm. <laughs> That is not meant to be. Not this time, anyway. Eh, it doesn't anyway. seem Mike. like it. I, I, <laughs> do, I, I will Mike. say I certainly appreciate everybody that's been making the attempt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> please share another poem, please. I enjoy you. Please share another poem. All right. This, this is uh, 
you know, I, I, I think I think all poets at one time or another write on the concept of romantic love. So so this is one yes. of mine on the concept of romantic love, but with a little bit of a twist. This is called mm-hmm. And Yet We Love. Love is to take the essence of oneself and offer it up, naked, defenseless, vulnerable, to another, with faith that it will be vouchsafed tenderly, and lingering knowledge that all may be lost. And yet, we love. Thank you. Mike, I was just settling in. <laughs> and it was over. <laughs> I, was, I was listening to your booming voice, and then it was over. Please share it again. <laughs> Please share it again. I I will, but it's I, I will. It, it, it's funny you say that, though. Uh, mm-hmm. I I have certainly been known to run on, and some of my early poems, in particular, can be quite long. And I've I've worked <laughs> long and hard to to try to hone down to the real core okay. of what I'm trying to get at. Uh, so clearly, here I succeeded. Uh, <laughs> but 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 here 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 as a reprise, and yet we love. Okay, here we go. Love is to take the essence of oneself and offer it up, naked, defenseless, vulnerable, to another, with faith that it will be vouchsafed tenderly and lingering knowledge that all may be lost. And yet, we love. Thank you, Mike. With your book, let's say we were standing, I was standing in a line, and I was, uh, you were the seller of the book, of course, and you were going to sign the book. What advice would you give me before I should read it? Wow, I've, I've never really considered that. Well, that's that, why they that pay is, me the big books, Mike. <laughs> that, that is an interesting question. Well, you're earning them now, buddy. Uh, <laughs> I'm not on my A game like I usually am, but <laughs> I'm getting there. The show almost over, but I'm getting there. <laughs> I I I think I would hand you the book and I would say I would look you in the eye and I would say mm-hmm. it's my hope that you will find your truths in mine. Mm-hmm. See, to me, that's that empathy again. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think you're right. I think, I think that is the essence of empathy. And now you've got to go read my book, which is the action. <laughs> the action, right. <laughs> you know, Mike, we may need to write an article together. Empathy that would be fun. I would like that. Action. I'm serious. I mean, I don't just say I'm too old to say things. I'm serious. I would enjoy that. (laughs) Okay. We can talk about it further. The role of empathy and action in poetry. We can do that. We can make it happen. All right. You know, we've reached a part of the program, Mike, that I view as my personal favorite. I view it as being a mini 
Poetry Concert. This is an opportunity for you to share three or four of your pieces back-to-back, no interruption from me. My turn, you're on the stage. I will open with one of my latest poems, which uh, was just published uh, about two weeks ago in an anthology. This is called Where the Moon Kisses the Sea. Where the moon kisses the sea, where ocean embraces sky, there I hope to find thee and linger by and by. We'll dance to nature's choir, where kisses meant to be, and our love shall never tire where the moon kisses the sea. Next, I'm going to read, uh, again, one of my most recent poems. Um, This is called Comprehension. In the autumn, close to winter, verdant leaves turn to crumbling parchment, leaving bare gray limbs stretched against pewter skies. I no longer turn to thoughts of the past, Reliving cold triumphs and bitter defeats, happiness and sorrow blending together forlornly, but rather reflect, as I watch the first fall of snow, that after a lifetime of searching for answers, it is only now I begin to comprehend the questions I should ask. And I think for my third poem, I will read the title poem from the book. This is Visions and Memories. Though time has slowly brushed away the sharpness of my mind, and where my vision once was clear, now I am mostly blind. I do remember that sweet day. We saw what we could be and started down our lifetime's path Together, you and me. We looked ahead, out toward our lives, but now I look behind and dwell upon your warm embrace, two hearts, two lives entwined. These are the things which I still know, the visions that I see. Our dreams have turned to memories of I and you. And we. Now as I wait to go beyond, not knowing what I'll find, I have the sweetness of our life with which my heart to bind. So as I pass through that great door, your hand gives me the key. I'll look into your eyes once more and be forever free. Beautiful. Thank you. Let's try another caller. All right. Area code 331. The first three numbers are 481. You're on the air with Mike Turner. Good evening. Hello. Hi. Can you hear me? Hello. Yes. Hi. Do you have a question for Mike? Uh, This is Carol. Uh, Mike Johnson's trying to get a hold of you. 
Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We, we're having some difficulty. Having... Yeah. I'm not. I don't have any difficulty. But here's Mike. Okay. All right. Then. Thank you, Carol. You guys don't love me no more. That's what it's all about. No, that's what it is. Yeah, I know. I know you, Mike. You're not trying to keep me away from you know the limelight. <laughs> all right, sir. Good to talk to you. You have a question for Mike Turner. Yeah. Oh well, I think uh, yeah, actually I do. Um, I think you sort of hit on this, Mike. Uh, but what, what do you feel is the difference between a songwriter? And a pure poet. The emphasis here is on a pure poet. I did kind of touch on that, and and there's a lot of different aspects to to what the similarities and differences are. But I but I think one of the big ones is is that there are many conventions to songwriting that I mean, clearly there, there's no hard and fast rules in any of this, but if you listen to many typical songs, you will hear certain aspects of them, the repetition of what I call the hook, the structure of verses and choruses, the rhyming schemes that almost all songs employ either some sort of rhyming or repetition of phrase because it's all a trick to get the listener to get into the cadence of the song and the meter and the melody of the song. It's all there in songwriting. And, and true poets, in my view, are not bound by that. They can employ those things if they choose to, but they don't have to. And particularly what we're seeing today in some aspects of contemporary poetry and some aspects of prose poetry and free verse, they're not tied to any of that. They're, they're, they're not even locked into a given meter throughout the poem. And I don't, I don't think that any of that's, there's no right or wrong to any of this. It, it's, it's what works for the, the poet and that, what the reader is going to respond to. But I guess my point is poets aren't bound by any of those conventions that do tend to bind songwriters into a certain format and a certain, I don't want to call them rules, but certain tools and tricks of the trade that we use as songwriters to appeal to listeners. So that's what I think the difference is. And, and uh, you know, Michael, I've got now, we've got three mics going in this conversation. That's true. But, but, but Dr. Michael, Michael and I have, have done a lot of work taking poems that he has created and adapting them into songs. And a part of that process is sometimes applying some of those songwriting tools and tricks of the trade where they don't exist in the original poem. And I, I give Michael Lee Johnson a lot of credit and a lot of thanks for giving me some of the freedom to do that in some of the work we've done together because clearly he created the original poem without any of, of that restriction 
that I kind of overlay sometimes onto the work to be able to mate it to a melody, to be able to sing it, to turn it into a song. Wow. I found you through Michael Lee Johnson. Yes. Michael, are you there? Still? That's a, that, yeah, that was a, that was a good answer. That's more like the Mike Turner that I know. You know, uh, <laughs> I, no, I, I'm very serious actually. Uh, you know, Mike Mike is uh, a really interesting fellow, and the reason I think he's so interesting is that. Uh, well, you know, I, I was looking at some of his po- uh, poetry, and I was looking at just I looked at stuff, but I, I, I wanted to quote one. It's called "Essence of the Blues." And uh, I was looking at that, and, you know, I, I see the difference sort of between a poet, true poet, pure poet, whatever you want to call it. All right? And you got to be careful with that because we know there's people out there who used to be like Gordon Lightfoot, okay, you know, and Leonard Cohen, and other people, okay? But the, but the bottom line, but there's, there's feedback from the line about but it, but anyway, when I look at it, a songwriter sort of takes the words and puts them into a, a meter or some form of rhythm, some sort of uh, whatever. So, like you said, uh, a, a, a pure poet is more loose with that. And uh, but they share something in common, Mike Turner. And I think that is you were talking about Shiva. You were implying something about I call it the kicker ending. Okay, but you called it a kicker something, you know, as it goes through the different stanzas. You know, so there is a certain kind of a difference there. Mike Turner, are you there? I am here. Yeah, I'm here. All right. I got another one. I got another one. uh, Another one for Mike. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see here. How can we be? Uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah. I'm just curious in listening to you, Mike. You know, you're you're very articulate. Okay. And and everything I've uh, learned from you is that when it comes to music, you are technically savvy for the most part. But what I what I didn't what I don't quite understand is how you can be so fluent online like we are tonight, and so frightened in front of a small group. Yes, that's a great question. Uh, and I don't know what the answer is. It 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 is something that has plagued me my entire life. You know, I think it's. I, I do think I know what part of the answer is. And and again, I think people people will tend to reject this explanation, but it's true for me. You are both familiar, I assume, with the concept of imposter syndrome. Yes, very much so. I know I am. And, and, and for, <laughs> for anyone in the listening audience that is not, imposter mm-hmm. syndrome is the feeling that very successful people will have that they are complete fraud, they are not the person that they are projecting themselves to be, and that sooner or later they will be found out and exposed and vilified because of vilified. And, and and I suffer from imposter syndrome, and I think that that's part of it, that every time I step up on the stage, I have the fear that this is the time that I can be found out to be the fraud that I am. And that is, and, and people people hear me say that, my wife hears me say that, who's listening tonight, so she's going to be nodding her head. She hears me say that, 
and will remind me of awards that I have won and accolades that I have received. And yeah, that's all part of the scam. That, 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 that's all part of the big con. And sooner or later. You know, it's it might turn there. It's not my fault. I just felt we music that create uh, musical notes for spear or whatever. Everything else is wonderful. <laughs> my God, my right. God, my God. I've got to bring you out of the grave, all right? Here's, quite, here's another question. How can you. Uh, well, no, that's not it. Are poets social workers or do they focus on legacies? I didn't hear the last part. Are they social workers or what? Okay, are poets social workers, or do they focus on legacy? I don't think we're social workers in the sense that we're actually hiding hands on service to people in need. I think I think poetry to a degree, and this is what Michael and I, Doctor Michael and I, were talking about earlier. Oh yeah, Michael. I, I I think I think that poetry to a degree carries us through empathy and encourages and provokes and compels action, but it is not action itself. I think I think a poem that I write can have great value in illuminating a topic, a challenge, a concern, a need, but having recognized that challenge, having recognized that need, somebody has to take action to meet that need, to right that injustice, to fix that wrong. And, and poems aren't active that way in my mind. Hopefully they compel people to become active. So, so I don't think that poets are social workers in that sense. I think that we are more like journalists. We're, we're exposing aspects of the human condition. And that's our role, is to tell the truth about the world around us. And when those truths are such that they demonstrate that there is something that needs to change, that we are encouraging people to make that change. Wow. Mike, Michael, uh, listen, um, both, both Michaels, both Michaels. Yes. Uh, listen, number number one, I think uh, uh, I think both of you are black and blue, and I'm yellow. Okay. The other <laughs> the other thing, okay, and the other thing I want you to know is uh, we both share we both share the extreme loss, and I say extreme loss of Steve Carr. You know, I really miss Steve. He was one of the most gentle people, kind people I've known. He published Beyond so many times. And he was simply a wonderful guy. We have lost too many poets lately. I don't know if you've noticed. But we also lo- lost a very good uh, musician. And I'm trying to remember his name. His last name is Johnson, just like mine. Okay? Uh, and he, we just lost him about two weeks ago. And, I, you know, I just can't remember. Doggone, I just can't remember the first name right now. 
Uh, but, right. uh, I have one, one other thing here, okay? Carol's here, and she would like to speak for just a second, if you don't mind. All right. All right. Hold on, please. My Turner, you are a very talented musician. I love your music, your poetry, um, and it's a pleasure. Um, Mike shared some of the emails with me, and you are wonderful. And what you did for Michael and other people are picking up the songs and playing them. I thought that you were in my town because I swore somebody was playing um, Flower Girl. Oh, well, thank you so much. And I mean, and it's, and it's tremendous to hear that, that other people would want to play some of the things that, that yeah. we've written. I mean, that's true. It was in a coffee yes, shop. They had a folk singer there, but I, I, I didn't get a chance to say, hey, you know, how to do that, you know. But I, I figured, um, as I saw him a couple of weeks later, he didn't remember this song particularly. He says, oh, I, he searches the net, uh, internet, and uh, basically, you know, and, and does um, uh, songs because they're not copyrighted and things like that. Mm-hmm. And nice interview, um, Michael Anthony. Uh, I oh, hey. think it's going real well. <laughs> well thank <laughs> you, Carol. It's good to hear your voice. It's good to hear yeah. your voice. It's good to hear Yeah, I'm tripping out. So I'm going to say good night. Right, thank you. Yep. Michael right, wants to say thank you. All right. Thank you, Carol. All right. Yes. Very All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that dog under. All right. <laughs> By the way, yes, that's thank a, there's you, a charge of $5. There's a charge of $5. And I don't know if you want to send something by regular snail mail or whether you want to send me money over the Internet. But you can get a hold of me at promomanusa at gmail.com. All right. All right. Thank you, sir. No problem. Listen, I'll just hang in here thank and listen for a while to the end, all right? All right. All right. Uh, God bless okay. you, Michael. Mike Turner. You're not a fake, my friend. You're very talented. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Well, <laughs> well, I was going to share, Mike, in terms of a. I was listening. The imposter syndrome. All right. When you're out there being your authentic self, and we talked about the authentic self, live in that. You talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. Live in it, your authentic self, when you're sharing in front of others, when that fear comes over you. Because I learned a long time ago that you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So I learned I might as well be me. Everybody's not going to like what I share, and that's okay. I, that, 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 that's because, great advice. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I did a, yes. I did do a folk singing open mic night. This is now several years ago, and okay. I, I, I do live in the South. Yes. And uh, one of the songs that I wrote and performed that night is a song about the tragedy of gun violence. And mm-hmm. I will tell you that. Uh, again, I'm not saying we're going to debate this. I'm just going to make a statement. As yeah. a former law enforcement officer with 
close to 30 years of, of work in the law enforcement field, I'm a firm believer that we need better gun control in this country. Okay. And so that's how I approached the song that I wrote about gun violence, and it tells a series of stories about people who are killed as a result of gun violence. And the question that I keep asking is, how many more have got to die before we do something about this? That's the name of the song, Mm -hmm. How Many More. And so I went to this open mic night in northern Alabama. It was up around Birmingham. And looked out across the audience, and I could tell this was an audience that did not share my view about gun control. And I decided I'm going to sing this song because they need to hear it. Yes. And one of the proudest moments of my performing career was when in the middle of the song, one person in the audience stood up, yelled something that I don't know what he yelled, and stormed out because he was so angry that Mm -hmm. I was singing about taking away his gun rights. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me of a quote that is attributed to all sorts of different artists, so I don't know who the real attribution goes to, but it is Mm -hmm. at times attributed to Woody Guthrie, the folk singer. And the quote is, it is the job of the folk singer to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. Wow. And that has always stuck with me, that quote, and then this experience that that I I apparently disturbed a comfortable guy. And I'm kind of proud of that. I think live in your authentic self. You were given a gift, Mike, in terms of you, and you know these things. You've heard it probably a thousand times. But in terms of your ability to speak, and sometimes, as we both know, some people resonate more with the verbal than they do with the written. And you talked earlier about, and I'm paraphrasing now, about being able to normalize a situation between you and the reader. Sometimes that verbal message normalizes it. That when you, when you talk, I mean, this whole entire hour, I've just been blown away by the way that you sound. You give voice to the voiceless. Because if That's they can't... That, that, that is something I'm going to think about for a long time after this discussion because that really, that, that holds some power for me. Uh, I, 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 I think I'm going to think that through and find myself in agreement with you. All right, then. And two, I mean... I don't know how many Zoom programs you've done in terms of the poetry readings and stuff, but I think if you've not done very many, start doing those too. I mean, you've just got got too much. I mean, do you think (laughs) you were meant to be a poet, my friend? I think I must have been because here I am doing something I never thought I would do and none of my friends ever conceived was was where my life was going to lead me and here I am. So I think the answer is yes. Right. Where can we purchase Visions and Memories? Where can we find the book? 
The the best place now is on Amazon. Since unfortunately Steve Carr passed away and the publisher has kind of gone on hiatus, uh, it is available mm-hmm. on Amazon. Or if people had trouble finding it, they could contact me. You've got some of my contact information listed, and I do have copies available that I could ship to people. But it is on Amazon, and it's in both right. paperback and Kindle format. Where do you go from here creatively? What's next for you? I'm going to keep looking at the opportunities that come. I've I've been asked to teach a songwriting uh, workshop, and I'm and so I'm looking forward to to doing that. And I'm speaking in about a week to a writer's group about the work that I've been doing with Michael Lee Johnson, converting poems to songs, and what some of that wow. process is. So I'm, 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 I'm very interested in the process of doing all these things. And mm-hmm. we will see tomorrow when I have my cup of coffee and open the morning papers and read my socials, we'll see what inspires me tomorrow and when the muse comes knocking, I'll start typing. Wow. You're an incredible man. You know, I'm a native of North Carolina, and I know good people when I hear them, when I hear their work, when I hear their words. I wish you nothing but continued success, Mike. I I accept that gratefully and I will tell you I've had a great time doing this session you are a terrific interviewer and a wonderful host with some with some very thought-provoking discussion that is gonna remain with me and, and continue to, to mull over uh, when this session's over well I would like you to come back in 2024 we can talk about how we can configure that but there are other things that we can talk about. Ten and uh, I'm going to be in touch. All right? That'd be great. All right. All right, everyone. <laughs> As I share with you every time we're together, that poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Take care, Mike. Be good to yourself. And you Thanks are. for having All me. Right. Great talking with you. All right. Have a nice one. Good night, everyone. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.